I couldn't wait to become an adult. I hated being a kid. It was terrible. I have always been ostracized, and I always thought that as I got older, that would quit happening. And it very acutely didn't stop. It was really isolating. And I think part of what was going on is that I grew up in these really remote areas. I grew up on commercial gold mining camps when I was a kid. So we'd live in these super remote areas. There'd be tons of big, giant, burly men and women walking around. Heavy machinery and equipment and loud noises and chemicals and all this different stuff going on all the time. And so that's kind of what I grew up around. And then when you try to take that and then put it into normal, regular society where you're supposed to go to school and sit still and not build weird things and be fidgety. It just was a really tough transition. Somehow people just figured out that I was different. Before I talked to them, before I interacted with them, before whatever, they just, like, could tell that I wasn't fitting in and I, I was different. Literally, like, I had to, like, learn how to, like, pantomime what everybody else was doing. Like, I had to, like, mimic them in order to try to fit in. I was actually put into several different trash cans in high school. Have you ever heard of somebody actually having that done to them? I was bullied every day. People called me transgender. They called me trans man. They called me a lesbian. They said I was a dyke. I mean, it was every single day. They brainwashed me into thinking that I wasn't a person. Feeling that as a kid and getting older and older and it seeming like it was never going to end was like really disheartening. It's not easy. Human interactions are very, very difficult for me. I don't understand how people make decisions. I don't understand what drives them to do what they do. It's just kind of like the pain of existence, you know what I mean? Tree Trunks, as I'm going to call her, we went to high school with each other, and uh, I don't remember speaking to her once in high school. We were in very different circles. I met her at a party. She was roller skating inside, and she was just this tall, beautiful, blonde, electrifying woman who got to live this lifestyle that was just nuts. She would get drunk, and she would make plane reservations to the Himalayas. She would do all sorts of shit like that all the time. Just randomly, arbitrarily decide to fly to Mexico and just do, she just lived this incredible whirlwind life that was just like so desirable for somebody who didn't want to do society things. We were very similar in a lot of ways. We didn't want to live conventional lifestyles. Both of us really wanted to travel and see the world and do things and uh, both of us really prided ourselves on being tough. And so she was the one who actually approached me and was like, we should be friends, you know. So it's pretty hard to turn somebody down. I just, yeah, I just hadn't had somebody seem so interested in me and seem so invested in me without me actively trying to get their interest or, or trying to, you know, actively be friends, I would pick people and be like, I'm going to make that person my friend. And She just always spoke about Alaska so passionately, and she loved it so much. 
everybody just absolutely loved her and would fall over themselves. She's just beloved by everyone. Everybody just was falling over themselves. Men and women both just wanted to be her friend or her partner or whatever. I went to trade school, became a welder, and I was offered this position at a union pipe fitting hall. I was promised a welding job by this union hall. I got there and they wouldn't let me weld. And I said, welding is a perishable skill. I need to take a weld test immediately in order to move forward, in order to get the job that you promised me, the, the only reason why I came here. They kept moving me around to these different shops. So every time they moved me, I had to win over new people. And it just, I couldn't get anybody who was in power to listen to me and understand that I had been promised something that they weren't giving me. And it became really, really, really frustrating. There were only three women in my union hall in total of this like 700 person union hall. There was me, one other woman, and a woman they called Meat Pocket. And that's about how I was treated. I just kept getting passed around. I kept working at these different places. I kept trying to get people to listen and understand what was going on and, and that I wasn't getting what I was promised. And one day I was at work and I looked over and there was a new apprentice they had brought on. He had just started and he was welding on a pipe that held molten aluminum. I looked over and I was just like, what the fuck is he doing? And I went to my journeyman and I asked, and they were like, oh, that guy's an apprentice. He's under this guy. He's learning how to weld. They, like, let him take a weld test the other day, blah, 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 blah. I just, I was just like, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's been a year. You guys keep yanking me around. You keep moving me to these different shops. You keep sabotaging my opportunities. And this guy who doesn't even know how to weld, who I'm watching stick a fucking rod, he just kept dead at it. Like the rod was glowing red hot. I'm like, this guy didn't know what he was doing. And you're going to let him work in this facility where there's molten aluminum going through his welds? Like, are you fucking kidding me? And so I went to the journeyman apprentice and I was like, look, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to keep subjecting myself to this. I'm alone. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm getting nothing out of this. And he was like, oh, well, I don't think you should leave. Like your shop just let go two journeymen so they could keep you. They kept saying they would give me a chance and they never would. And uh, it just got beyond being acceptable. I lived in the shittiest part of town. My apartment was 225.7 square feet. It was not good. I was 22, I considered myself female at the time, and I was just unbelievably more isolated than I had ever been. I was so desperate and sad while I was living there that I would write notes with my phone number asking people if they would hang out with me, and I would leave them on cars. I only ever got one response, and the guy was like, you need to stop doing this. <laughs> I was drinking every day. I was just really depressed and felt worthless. It's so strange that I don't 
really seem to get along with people very well, but yet I, like, need them. At the time, it was the worst year of my life. Right before all this stuff went down with the other apprentice welding on, on the job site, Tree Trunks called me and offered me this job up north. She was like, my bosses are desperate in town. They need somebody smart and reliable who's going to be able to work 17 hours a day or whatever. You know, they need somebody they can rely on. And I know that you have that kind of personality. And so she was like, you'll be perfect to manage this buying station. You'll be perfect for the job. Okay, this place has housing. They're going to provide me with food. I'm going to be in a new place where I get to start over and people get to judge me by how I behave and how I act instead of all the other things they're judging me on, you know? So I was like, I have a maid. I can just ditch everything that I've got here and I can just fly up there and try to start anew. I know that she'll be in the same village as me when I start. And then after a period of time, she's going to leave on a tender, which is going to be several miles away from our village. And I'm going to be in town running the commercial buying station in town. You have the fishermen, they're fishing out on the fishing grounds, and the tender is the intermediate because you don't want the fishermen to leave the fishing grounds. If they leave the fish, they don't know where the fish are going to be. So what they'll do is they'll send a tender out, they'll offload, and then the tender will come back into town, and instead of, like, 20 small boats delivering 20 times, they'll have one big boat delivering one time with lots of fish. And so it just keeps people where they need to be, it keeps the plant moving, and it's just a more efficient way to make sure that all of the product is being kept clean and cold and, and food safe. I don't know anything about the job. I know nothing about the history of her tender. I know nothing about the history of this village. I don't know anything about the commercial fishing industry that I'm joining. I don't know shit. I don't know anything. I just know a time and a place where I'm supposed to be and I know they're providing me food in an apartment. I accept. I get off the float plane. I meet my boss, Peppermint Butler. He's just, like, in such disbelief. He takes me to my apartment, which is inside an abandoned plant. They had to clear out cats, a bunch of shit, and it didn't work. It had been abandoned for more than 10 years. It was not a nice apartment, but it was a place to stay. Tree Trunks is still in town at the time. They're hanging out. We're partying. We're having a great time. The villagers are accepting me. They're being nice to me. And then she left, and they took the tender out of town, and there was a very noticeable unfriendliness. All of a sudden, people who were once friendly to me became very, very unfriendly and very guarded. And it's almost like my personal guide had left me, and so I no longer had, like, her protection, basically. There is a post office, a liquor store, one bar, a ferry, dock. That is it. You can only get there by boat or by plane. Less than 20 people live there year-round, and many of the people who've lived there year-round have lived there their entire lives. In fact, several people were born in that village, uh, which is pretty wild, considering it's so isolated. There's no cops in this town. There's a VPSO, village police officer. You can find them at the bar. 
He was usually a drunk. This town was built in the early 1900s, and what people used to do then is they used to just throw their trash off the dock. There were all these different ladders that went down off the boardwalk. And so at low tide, I would climb down these ladders and I would walk around underneath all these abandoned plants. If you climb off the boardwalk, you're in town. Like, it's only a super short span of distance. There's no cars. The boardwalk's probably like 20 to 30 feet off the ground. So I would climb down and I would go beachcombing day after day because it was in my blood. My mom was just really into beachcombing and it was just a part of what we did as kids in these rural areas is we'd look for stuff. People could always see me. I was never hiding from anybody. I was never trying to be shady. I was never trying to do anything malicious. Everyone could see me. I was very visible. And one day I was down there and the local electrician saw me. He was like, hey, what are you doing down there? You know, what are you doing? You stealing copper? And I was like, copper? What do you mean? You better get your shit. You can't be down there. You know, we don't know you, blah, blah, blah. And he like just goes off. And I yelled back at him and I'm like, do I look like I'm holding any fucking copper? Where the fuck am I going to get rid of that? The next day, Princess Bubblegum calls me and she's sitting on the dock and she's crying. That is not a situation you want to walk into if you've only been in a place for less than a week and a half. She's holding this piece of paper and she like looks up at me and she was like, this was written today and placed in every mailbox in our village. On the paper it says, you know, I, our electrician, here do by swear that if the female employee at, you know, this fish buying station is accusing me of harassing her, I will resign immediately. And he's really vague about what I'm accusing him of. So she's just like, it's okay. Stuff like this happens. It's either going to be you or it's going to be somebody else. And I guess this year it's you. She was like, just go home and try to collect your thoughts and we'll come up with a game plan and then we'll deal with this. So I was like, okay. I didn't have a basic understanding of the village. Whereas the person who brought me to Alaska had a very acute understanding. She had family members who lived in the area. She had been there many, many times as a child, as an adult. She could have said, hey, the villagers are, like, really particular and, like, they're not really super keen on new strange people. You know, maybe you shouldn't go beachcombing and do stuff until you've, like, established some kind of relationship with them. They're not going to let you do whatever you want because they feel like you're invading their space. So she could have told me. We were several miles apart, sending notes back and forth. When we could, we would occasionally talk on the phone. Cell phone service was really, really poor there. Everybody up there uses landlines. And so sometimes I would try to call out there and talk to her. And what was really crazy is that all of the information that I was giving her, she was actively using against me. A little time goes past. Princess Bubblegum calls me again. I show up. She's crying even harder this time. This time she will not let me see the paper. She will not hand it to me. 
she folds it up and like wads it up and and I was like, what is that? Another anonymous person got the first letter, was super upset by it, and decided to write a second letter and print it off and put it in every mailbox in town. That's when people started being really, really aggressive towards me and upset and were under the impression that I was accusing, you know, the local electrician of sexual harassment, which is not the case. That day... The woman who I now know to have written the letter came up to me while I was by myself, spit in my face. And she said a bunch of vulgarities. I ended up calling my bosses and telling them about this. And they were like, okay, it's way too hot for you here right now. We're going to send you out to the tender and you're going to go stay out there until we actually have to start buying fish. And then when we need you, we'll bring you back into town. Tree Trunks was so sympathetic. She was like, oh, my God, I had no idea this would happen. It was just really bizarre to find out, like, almost a year later that she was actively turning not only the villagers in town against me, but the fishermen as well. And so it was just so crazy because I would talk to her on the phone and I'd be like, hey, how's it going? Like, a bunch of crazy shit just happened in town. I just had a lady spit in my face. You know, what's going on out there? And and so I would tell her all this information, and she just chose to destroy me instead, you know? And it was just like, I just would have never thought in a million years that she was the one doing this. I just assumed that it was other people around her or other fishermen or whatever. Looking back now on her reaction and everything that she said to me, it was just like so fake. It was just so staged. It's like, of course you fucking knew. Of course you knew this shit was going to happen. So I come back into town. Pretty soon I was trained to take over a lot of the mechanical aspects of the buying station. And so I was spending lots and lots of time up at night making sure that equipment was running. And so pretty soon I was buying fish during the day and then not sleeping at night, running all this equipment I started hallucinating on a regular basis. And at the time, I didn't know that I had schizophrenia. With all stereotypes, there's always this, like, really prominent single idea. And I think the thing about schizophrenia is that people need to know is that it's a massive spectrum. I had been um, having hallucinations and the like since I was about 16. However, this was the first time where it was, like, sustained. Whereas, you know, you see lots of homeless people who act really strangely. Well, if you're homeless and you don't have shelter and you're not comfortable and you don't feel safe and you don't know who's around you, no shit, you're gonna fucking—that's exactly how I felt. I mean, it it makes sense that these people would be in these sustained episodes because— they don't know what's going on around them. You're const- if you constantly feel like you're in danger, you can't relax. Your guard has to be up. It just became a living nightmarish hellscape. You know, I just, as an untreated schizophrenic, being in these conditions, you know, it just, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. My body feels emotions entirely. It's a whole body thing. 
if I feel sick to my stomach, that usually means I have anxiety or something. Like when I was under these conditions, it just, I'm just so physically sick all the time. You know, I was like throwing up. I mean, if you're hallucinating and you like don't understand what's happening to you, it's one of the most disturbing things. I became so paranoid and so afraid that someone was going to come into my apartment and murder me that only after being there for about four weeks, I quit sleeping on my bed because my room had one door and then a window to the outside, but it was up several stories. And I was like, I can't escape. If someone comes in here, I'm not going to be able to get away from them. So what I did is I took some couch cushions and I started sleeping in the living room. Not a single goddamn person who came to my apartment the entire summer asked me, why is there, like, sleeping stuff on the ground? Like, nobody said anything to me. I ended up sleeping on the floor for three months. I I was that afraid. And then when I would go to work, I just became so paranoid. I spent a lot of time there by myself because there was no need to have everybody there if nothing was going on. Every time I would go to, like, look out one of the open doorways or whatever, I would always stand, like, 20 or 30 feet away from the entrance because I knew someone could sneak up behind me. There's lots of loud equipment. They could shove me out the door. And because there are no cops in this place, someone could kill me, and then there would never be an investigation. No one would know. It would look like an accident. I mean, I just, like, devolved. You know, I worked up on a dock. And so I would look down at the fishermen beneath me, and I would see myself fall and hit every last thing on the way down. There's lots of rigging on these boats. There's all sorts of steel poles. It would be daylight, and I would be sitting in a room where there was, like, plenty of really good light, and I would just start, all of a sudden, start having these, like, shadows that would come into my vision. There was a guy that followed me around, a... a, um, Big, kind of shapeless, black, smoky, like, ethereal kind of, I don't know, just shapeless, smoky guy with red eyes. And he would kind of follow me around when I was in town. One day, Princess Bubblegum calls, and she was like, I just want to tell you that I have received four different phone calls tonight that have told me that you're having an affair with Peppermint Butler. And I was like, really? I'm accusing the electrician of sexual harassment. I'm like cheating all the fishermen. I'm ruining the sanctity of this village. And now I'm having an affair with my boss. There was this party at the end of the season every year. Tree Trunks was in town and we went to the local bar. We all got really, really drunk. And Tree Trunks was like talking about me to some other fishermen Like, I wasn't there. Like, I didn't go to the bar with her. And that was, like, the first time I, like, had any idea that it was her, you know, doing this stuff and actively orchestrating these things. And I just kind of drunkenly realized, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, this person was working against me this whole time? And I just... I I was so drunk that I had to walk home holding the side of the rail that I was just so I was sobbing, I was crying and and one of the guys in the bar ended up following me. 
he worked on a, a rival tender, and he was like, hey, I, I know this is really weird that I followed you, but you seem really in distress, and I just want you to talk to me about what's been going on. And I just remember sitting on my floor, bawling and crying and telling him everything about what had been going on. I couldn't put into words the episodes that I was having. My paranoia is I usually think people are talking about me. And it's like, well, no shit, I feel that way. He just could tell there was something wrong. And, I mean, he's probably solely responsible for me not killing myself that night. That's what I needed. I just needed somebody to give a fuck about me. So I actually stayed the entire summer. I, I did it. I stayed. I started talking to more and more people who seemed isolated. I started standing up for myself. It's almost like I became motivated to stop injustices that I started seeing, where I was like, that person is being ostracized. I don't understand why. What are they doing? I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to ask what's happening. If you want to, like, learn how to fucking grow a spine, work in the commercial fishing industry as a 22-year-old woman. I mean, if I had been a man, there's absolutely no fucking way that 60% of what happened to me would have happened, right? Like, you know, I, I remember people coming to the ice chute, and they climb up the ladder, and they're like, where's the manager? And I'm like, hello. They're like, never mind, I want to talk to the guy who signs my tickets. Hello. Never, I, I want to talk to the guy who writes the, uh, my check. Hello again. Oh, no, I, I want to talk to the person who runs the ice shoot. Yes, it's me. There's nobody else. And they're like, no, this is, I need to talk to the maintenance guy who's running this place and who's working with the contained ammonia system and yada, yada, yada. And I'd be like, still me, sir. And it's just like they constantly were trying to, like, get to a man that first season. They were trying to, like, get around me. I realized that no matter what, people are going to underestimate me because of my appearance and my look and my gender or whatever. It's just going to happen. I'm, I'm not going to change my appearance. I'm going to maintain what I'm doing. I still work in the commercial fishing industry. I'm an engineer. I love it. It's my favorite thing to do. I love living up north. I love most of the people. I'm going to ride the commercial fishing industry out until it collapses, which is going to be inevitable. Even though the beginnings were really, really awful and really horrendous, it's still a place that I intend on owning a house someday. It's mine. It's my village. You know, I help revitalize the place. And there's also another couple in town who are running their own private buying station, and they heavily relied on me. I am waiting for certain people to die, and I'm buying a house there. It's an incredible—it looks fake. It doesn't look like a real place. <laughs> 